Welcome to Radio Free Culture from WFMU, where we examine issues at the intersection of digital culture and the arts. My name is Liz Berg, and we're excited to kick off a new season of Radio Free Culture with a two-part interview with Elliot Harmon, Communications Manager at Creative Commons. This episode is the first in our two-part season opener. For those who may not be familiar with it, Creative Commons is a legal framework that offers a more flexible alternative to traditional copyright. The Creative Commons suite of licenses specifically allow for certain types of creative uses or reuses of an artist's work, and many of those are very common in today's internet culture, like sharing or remixing. By contrast, traditional copyright law does not have any built-in stipulations for these things. We use Creative Commons licenses extensively on the Free Music Archive because it's a great way for artists to implicitly allow others to download, remix, reuse, or repost their audio and other projects, depending on the artist's desire. Creative Commons is great for us because it includes the legalese that says, hey, it's okay to download this song for non-commercial or personal use, while the license also says it's still illegal to use this song commercially or without crediting me. Creative Commons licenses are not only used for music, but also for fine art, photography, creative writing, software coding, science, dance moves, and more. They are everywhere, and their use has grown exponentially in recent years. We couldn't imagine a better season opener for Radio Free Culture than a discussion with our friends at Creative Commons. This episode is the first of a two-part series focusing on the current state of affairs of our favorite alternative licensing scheme, and here to talk with us is Elliot Harmon. Elliot, thank you for joining me here on Radio Free Culture. It is a pleasure and an honor to have somebody from Creative Commons join us for our return episode here. Thank you, Liz. I'm excited to be on it, and, uh, and I'm also really excited that you're reviving the Radio Free Culture show. Let's start out by talking about where Creative Commons stands today with respect to, uh, you know, when it began. Creative Commons was born at around the same time that broadband internet was becoming more readily available across the U.S. So what were the organization's goals at that time and how have those changed over the years as the internet has grown and, and as Creative Commons has grown? I would imagine that a lot of the people listening to this are already pretty familiar with this history. In fact, a lot of them might even be more familiar with it than I am. Creative Commons at its core was born out of the idea that copyright law is out of sync with the way that the internet actually works. Um, When you think about how much time people on the internet spend creating content and using and borrowing and remixing other people's content, either in formal professional ways or in just informal fun ways, you start to realize that a magnitude more people are impacted by copyright law than were impacted by it uh, when copyright law as it currently is in most of the world was set. So the basic idea of Creative Commons is you can choose 
as a creator, as a copyright holder, to opt into more open copyright terms. Uh, you can put a Creative Commons license on your content. There are six licenses. Each one of them has slightly different rules uh, for how people can use the content. But the real point of it is that you are giving permission in advance. So you're no longer in this world in which everything is considered all rights reserved all of the time. Uh, you're opting in to the possibility of other people reusing your work and republishing your work and transforming your work in all kinds of wonderful and creative ways. Um, and Creative Commons was kind of the intention was that in creating this gray area of work that is not public domain uh, and is not all rights reserved but is somewhere in the middle, uh, it would have these hugely transformative effects on the culture and on the economy. And now, okay, so that was all 2000, 2001. You fast forward to today, and it's funny in a way because some of these ideas that were so revolutionary at the time are <laughs> now pretty obvious. Uh, one, absolutely everybody is a creator and everybody is a reuser of content. Two, the idea of as a professional rights holder, as a professional creator or as a record label or you know whatever kind of uh, uh, person or company who has built some kind of business model on IP, it is very, very hard to monetize scarcity. Uh, one, just because there is so much content on the internet, but two, because to be frank, it is impossible to prevent people from sharing content on the internet. Uh, and I think if you look over the past 10 years, you will see lots of examples, many of them uh, avid Creative Commons users, of creators who have found ways to encourage people to share and reuse their work and have, rather than trying to monetize scarcity and prevent people from sharing their work, have found ways to monetize abundance. Uh, the most obvious example who people always talk about in these discussions, of course, is the author Cory Doctorow, uh, the science fiction author and the founder of Boing Boing. Uh, um, he proved early on uh, in a very public way that got a lot of attention that when you allow people to copy your work, it's possible that you can not cannibalize your profits and, in fact, create more by creating more exposure and now like just, there are dozens of examples and you talk about the free music archive the, the great resource created by WFMU and others um, the the bets that, that we were making 12 years ago at the beginning of the organization have very much played out and become just the way that creative people work on the internet in many ways, Creative Commons ushered in the era of sharing that we've all grown to probably take for granted now that the internet has taken over <laughs> so many aspects of our lives. It was also so prescient for Creative Commons to be founded when it was because I don't know if if somebody had a crystal ball and saw that the internet was going to create an entire culture of creators all of us would be butting heads with copyright law in ways that we never had been before. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. And it's something that, uh, you know, if you've heard our co-founder, Lawrence Lessig, uh, speak, this is something he's very fond of saying, that a hundred years ago, or even 20 years ago, the number of people who were 
impacted by copyright law in their day-to-day lives was just so minuscule. Uh, and, and, and now it literally is everybody. I think there's something I, I, I always feel the need to underscore this, um, that we are not saying that using Creative Commons somehow automatically translates to success as an artist. And when we use these examples of people like Cory Doctorow or Jonathan Colton or Amanda Palmer or, you know, any of these very, very high-profile artists who have uh, endorsed Creative Commons in very public ways, they're, they're not they're not as hugely successful as they are because of Creative Commons. They're hugely successful because they figured out a way to be as creative with how they distribute and monetize their work as they are with the work itself. Uh, they, they, they figured out a way to use the enthusiastic sharing of their fans in their favor rather than against them, uh, and that included... Uh, giving fans explicit permission to reuse their work by licensing it under CC. Yeah, that's true. You know, it, just because you post your video on YouTube doesn't mean you're going to become the next Justin Bieber. I mean, there's more <laughs> to it than that. And likewise, with Creative Commons, there's more to it than just adding the license to your work and allowing, you know, sharing and, and, and maybe remixing or something like that. So <laughs> Creative mm-hmm. Commons isn't going to be the key to your fame, but it could be a tool in your belt. Yeah, yeah. The thing you said about Justin Bieber, like that's really interesting in a way though because it is it is it takes just as much work for me to type in your name into a search engine and find your music video as it does for me to find Justin Bieber's music video, which is a pretty amazing thing. And of course, this is getting a little tangential, but that starts to open all of these issues about why net neutrality is really important and why what's so amazing about the internet is that it does kind of put everyone on a level playing field. Um, And it's not surprising that some of the uh, companies that have historically benefited over the kind of imbalance of who can distribute their work to everybody uh, are the ones trying to d- carry that imbalance forward into the internet. Were there any unintended consequences that arose from the creation of the suite of Creative Commons licenses? What came as a surprise to Creative Commons after the suite of licenses, maybe the first suite of licenses, were created? One very obvious thing, um, and this is when I go to a conference or something and talk about Creative Commons, um, among people who have never heard of it, they still kind of recognize the logo. One, just because the logo is so ubiquitous on t-shirts and stuff, but two, because they've seen it on Flickr. Um, And certainly Flickr early on adopting uh, Creative Commons licensing options for its photographers uh, played a huge role in, one, just the this kind of massive proliferation of CC licensed stuff. It's still the biggest source of Creative Commons licensed content. But two, everybody, including people without a high level of media literacy, understanding how creative commons works in a really basic way you look at that symbol and that means you have permission to use it uh as as long as you use it in the ways that are allowed by the symbol that transformation of the creative commons search on Flickr or on other photo sharing sites becoming really the main place that people look for uh free photographs to use and that happening just as 
blogging was becoming a thing and and just as content on the internet was growing up in in, in a way uh that that certainly was a big transformation that we might not have foreseen um there are lots of kind of fun examples of people using creative commons licenses in ways that we hadn't expected uh like the electric slide is licensed under creative commons the dance um <laughs> and there are examples of people uh licensing hardware um and kind of uh, designs for physical objects under creative commons that weren't quite what we had expected i'd say that the biggest transformation that certainly people that certainly was an intention early on but uh might have played out in a bigger way than some people expected uh was the idea of uh open policy um which is here i should define that term because it's used to mean lots of different things creative commons believes that any resources that are funded by taxpayers or funded by the government uh, should be licensed as openly as possible. When people started to use Creative Commons search to find educational resources, things like that, those same people, when they realized how useful it was, started demanding of uh, government bodies that, that they start to build Creative Commons licensing into grants for educational resources, for example. When Creative Commons solves whatever problem you're dealing with right now and you see how easy it is, you're like, oh, well, why isn't this just the default everywhere, especially when used by institutions that are supposed to benefit me, i.e. governments, nonprofits, etc.? It's my dream that the the Library of Congress and, you know, maybe even Smithsonian folkways would start using Creative Commons licenses for all of their great material. I feel like there's a lot of stuff that the government is keeping on lockdown and in sort of an old fashioned way. So perhaps mm -hmm. we'll see some movement on that in the future. Who knows? That's that's just my my secret desire. <laughs> Well, and there is, you know, not to overstate it, but there has been some pretty amazing movement just in the last few years. Uh, there's this grant, the T-A-A-C-C-C-T, and I can't remember what it stands for, but it's a, uh, it's a grant for educational resources, especially designed for, uh, like, making uh, job skills, uh, making people more employable. And this is this a joint grant by the Department of Education and the Department of Labor, uh, and it was $2 billion. And it's explicitly built into that grant that resources produced from it must be licensed under CC BY, the, the most open Creative Commons license. So you are seeing this movement both in the U.S. and elsewhere, it is slow, and there are definitely a lot of question marks associated with it, uh, but it is happening. I say keep fighting the fight, and I hope to see, um, you know, a bigger proliferation of this happening, you know, more and more. And I think the pressure will be building from the public for, you know, government entities and, you know, government-funded entities or just publicly-funded entities to to give in and agree to, to share can you talk about what other sites are using Creative Commons right now that, that are big for you? I know that Wattpad just signed on. Could you tell us a little bit about what, what that is or who else is using Creative Commons right now? Sure, sure. Well, we can talk about the Wattpad thing a little bit just because it's fresh. I have to admit that uh, before Wattpad, 
approached us, I wasn't actually very familiar with it. I'd heard references to it here and there. As I've kind of gotten into it and learned what it's for and kind of who uses it, I've realized the reason why I wasn't familiar with it is because most of its user base is a decade or so younger than me. And it is massive. Just people post millions and millions of stories on it and some of it is fan fiction and some of it is things that people write uh, and some of it is things that well-known established writers use kind of to workshop works as they're working on them um, I mentioned Doctoro a little bit ago he has an account on Wattpad so Wattpad is is an interesting kind of example of this sort of sea change I think we're talking about in that a, so much of what's posted on Wattpad is work that's kind of based on other properties. Uh, it is fan fiction or things that are where somebody will literally take somebody else's story and kind of do a riff on it. In adopting Creative Commons licenses and in a lot of their users really getting excited about Creative Commons in a big way, to me just it underscores this obviousness uh, that to somebody who is, say, a teenager or uh, somebody in college who is using Wattpad to share their stories, licensing their work under Creative Commons so that it can spread, so that other people can use it and play with it, is so obvious that there's not even an argument to be had about it. It's just, of course. Uh, so, yeah, Wattpad is a really fun example. Um, in the photography world, uh, 500px, another of the big uh, photography sites outside of Flickr, uh, they started using CC licenses uh, about a year and a half ago, I think, and there's been a fair amount of growth there. Uh, of course, the biggest one besides Flickr is Wikipedia slash Wikimedia Commons. And in fact, that is increasingly a reason or one motivator for people licensing their works under Creative Commons is so that they can be used in Wikipedia. Let's see, what are other examples we can talk about? Oh, you YouTube. know, the White House, YouTube, all those. <laughs> <laughs> YouTube is a cool one because they not only made it the choice so you can uh, uh, license your work under CC, they actually, they did something interesting where they just have one option. They just have CC by the most open CC license. But not only did they make that an option, they also made this little web-based video editor uh, in which you can automatically pull in other CC licensed videos. Um, and it's cool when you browse around and look at how those videos are being used. That inline editor gets a lot of traction and it gets a lot of exposure for people who do share their videos under uh, uh, under CC on YouTube. Uh, somebody who is just looking for say some kind of like 20 second piece of footage of a city skyline or something they'll find the cc licensed one automatically pull it in through the video editor and then you look to see all the places that that video was used and it was used in like a hundred different videos there are also a lot of musicians who are solving this problem of people getting angry because youtube either turns off the music on their videos uh, or or bans your account or something. Right, or adds advertisements to them, all those various things. Uh, there are several musicians who have said, okay, I'm just going to upload all of my songs to YouTube as CC BY videos and just, you know, just have them as blank videos and people can import the music into the videos that way using the editor. Elliot, thank you so much for joining me on Radio Free Culture. 
This was the first part of a two-part series focusing on the current state of affairs at Creative Commons. In the next episode of Radio Free Culture, we'll be talking to Elliot Harmon about recent developments and challenges at Creative Commons. We hope you join us. Radio Free Culture is produced by WFMU and the Free Music Archive, and is supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts. Our theme song is Smoothest Runes by Thick Business and can be found at freemusicarchive.org.